Bitwise Bobby. Julio, can you tell the listeners why you're qualified to talk about immigration and removal proceedings? Of course, Bobby. Thank you. I'm an immigration lawyer, a solo practitioner, and the owner of a small law office in Brooklyn, Massachusetts, and we focus exclusively on immigration law. I've been doing that since 2013, and I've fought many, many cases in court. We specialize on humanitarian applications, asylum, cancellation of removal. We also have a large clientele for minors under 21. I mean, as little as one year old or, or even a few months that have represented in immigration court. And on top of that, we also do complex family immigration work and all sorts of super difficult cases. I have sued the government in federal court a few times, uh, and I've litigated in federal court cases of detained uh, immigrants, essentially challenging the right that ICE has to detain people indefinitely. And then on top of that, I'm the contact person of my bar association with the Boston Immigration Court, and I have extensive experience litigating cases before the Boston Immigration Court. What's the standard process for immigrants facing removal proceedings? The process is a nightmare. That's what it is. Every case is different. I wish they were similar, but it's particularly bad in Boston because of staffing problems for a number of reasons. When you take a case, you know when you start, but you never know when this is going to end. Some cases end in a couple of years. Some other cases take five, six, even longer. Typically, the life of a removal defense should be that you go to one or two pretrial hearings, and then the case gets scheduled for a final merits hearing. But quite often, I mean, what should take one year maybe takes years for many reasons. So you might end up being with a case for a few years just because the judge is not in court that day, they cancel last minute. That would be the process for a straightforward asylum application. So an asylum application is when somebody claims to have fear of returning to the country mm-hmm. because they have something that makes them special because of their religion, nationality, race. There is a category called particular social group, etc. So those cases are, I mean, they're very complex, but procedurally are straightforward. The person files an asylum application and then they have to defend it. They have to tell their story and provide evidence and be credible. But there are some other cases that are procedurally really complex. If the procedure is straightforward, can you explain why Mm -hmm. that's complex? Immigration law, it's a very complex body of law because it depends on the jurisdiction you're in. It's not the same to litigate a case in Boston and doing that same case in Atlanta, although it should be just about proving that the person qualifies for whatever form of relief they're asking for. It's very complex to work with them because we represent many, many women who have been victims of abuse. So we have to be very careful as to how much we press them to tell us their story because we're risking re-traumatization. It's really tricky when we have not that first hearing, but let's say that today I have hearing and the case gets scheduled for a final hearing in March of 2022. At that point, I mean, in the weeks prior to that hearing, we prepare absolutely everything. We prepare a final declaration with the client. I send the client for a psychological evaluation if there is any trauma that they have suffered. We get letters of support from their family. If they have any hard evidence of the trauma they have suffered, like hospital records, police reports, etc., etc., even affidavits from witnesses and people who know the story. And let's say that we get everything ready for that hearing that is in March 2022. We file everything in February. And a week before that March 2022 hearing, the case gets postponed to 2024. 
when we have done all of that work with the client and we have pushed the client to get us the evidence to tell us a very traumatic story, not only to me, but to my team, to the doctor who did the evaluation. And then we have to do everything again in 2024 because in two years, the client doesn't remember the court preparation that we've done. I mean, of course, they know their story, right? But and it could be the case that there are some discrepancies that the government may want to explore and highlight and put into question the client's credibility. So that's what we address during court preparation sessions. Then what do you do with the psychological evaluation? Do you do it again in 2024 to update that and refresh that, submit it again, etc.? And what if the case gets postponed again, which could well be the case? I have people who've been postponed three times, four times. It's not that the process is that complicated because in reality, it's about getting before the judge and presenting the case. What makes it complicated is that sometimes it's really difficult to get to that point and to prepare a client multiple times and to prepare documents multiple times. So given how complex this system is, is there any hope of improving it or is this as good as it gets? No, there are many. I mean, there is a lot of room for improvement. Of course, the last time there was an immigration reform, the internet wasn't a thing. It was in the year 2000. So there is a disconnect between reality and the law. You would be surprised how many people don't have legal status in the U.S. It's millions and millions of people. It is, in some cases, virtually impossible under the law to fix somebody's papers, even if they've been in the U.S. for 30 years. This could be way simpler. And I'm not even talking about only the cases that I do, fighting for immigrants who are fighting deportation. But when it comes to family immigration, the system is completely dysfunctional. It takes forever for people to be able to immigrate to the U.S. And it doesn't make sense because in reality, to bring somebody in, you need to prove that you have the money to support that person, that that person is not going to become a public charge into the U.S. There is a lot of room for improvement. In what area could we invest resources to make the biggest impact? I think the immigration court should be fixed, but in reality, I think the family immigration system would be what we would to address. Get rid of some of the wait times that are for petitioning certain relatives and making that process streamlined. I think that would improve things immensely. Can you give an example of a case where you overcame a really big challenge? I mean, I think the detained cases are the ones that are more intense because, I mean, you're trying to save somebody who's literally has one foot in the plane already and they've been detained for months. There was one particular case where the client had also been victim of a crime and cooperated with the police. And we were able to apply for what it's called a U visa, a visa for victims of crime, which I call it the unicorn. It's a U visa, but I call it the unicorn visa because it really cures pretty much everything. And it's like a forgiveness for any kind of sin that the client may have committed but for serious crimes. We were able to file that for the client and the client had been deported three times, but he had his entire family and his kids here. So that was quite the victory. I mean, that guy is walking free as of today. The most heartbreaking cases are those of women or, or children or any kind of vulnerable population who have been victims of any kind of violence in their countries because of their gender or their sexual orientation. And I've had a few of those cases that worked out and what that shows you is that, at least here, the rule of law means something. And you can always go to court. And you can always fight. And there are avenues. The problem is that for immigrants, those avenues are very limited. Because in those cases that I took to federal court, if I hadn't decided that I wanted to do a case pro bono with ACLU, there is no way those clients would have been able to afford having a lawyer litigate their case in federal court. I mean, that is tens of thousands of dollars. We don't know how many people are being deported to what could be their deaths just because they don't have the resources. 